0: Is that what I'm saying?
1: Rough Trade
2: Radio.
1: Yeah. Rough Trade
3: Radio. Rough Trade Radio.
2: Rough Trade oh, is Radio. Is it Rough Trade Radio? Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade
4: Radio. What's that? Welcome to Shoplifting on Rough Trade Radio with me, Ben Monahan. Today I'm proud and privileged to be joined by Jim Scalunos.
2: Hello, people out there in uh, podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> um Thank
4: you so much for coming in, Jim. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, you're, of course, renowned for your work as a multi-instrumentalist, producer and writer with Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds. Also a member of Seminole No Wave groups with Lydia Lunch, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, Eight-Eyed Spy. Um, you've also recorded albums with, here's the list, Sonic Youth, <laughs> The Cramps, Tav Falco, Marianne Faithful, Iggy Pop, Beth Orton, Man, of course and then it was nice reading recently um you worked with the horrors back in 2007 uh fat white family and the witches album uh yeah. it was last year yeah. which is a
2: brilliant album yeah
4: um but yeah welcome
2: oh thank you is that I, I, th- <laughs> I
4: think i hit most of uh I don't think it hit it all. I did, you're I, you're I so prolific. I'd
2: never recorded an album with Iggy, but uh, I've I've intersected with him a couple of times. With once with the Cramps, where, yep. uh, he came in and did an impromptu vocal on um, "Mini Skirt Blues," which was jaw-dropping. He just kind of waltzed in there, bouncing off the walls, full one of take. energy, and did one take. Nice. And uh, it it was better than anything. Lux had been doing all day long. <laughs> so it was just astounding. Um and then he was gone in a flash. Yeah. And then um then um I didn't um I didn't really intersect with him again until years later um because I ended up I was lucky enough to be mixing a track for a Jeffrey Lee Pierce uh tribute album um called Axles and Sockets and it's uh an Iggy was doing a duet with Nick Cave on that, oh, and wow. uh, I I mixed it and played on it, and it was and got Thurston in on there. And yeah. uh it's it's I actually an all-star that. cast. Kid Congo's on it. Yeah. Everybody, even Jeffrey's playing a bit of guitar. That's that's pretty heavyweight. I mean, that, yeah. is, that, is that up there with with some of your your favorite work? Well, you know, by? I mean, it, it, I don't even know how to. I don't even have criteria to evaluate something like that. It's just interesting that so many people are involved in it. It doesn't even matter if it's good or bad or groundbreaking or, you know, whatever. It's just an interesting combination of people who should have inevitably all played together at some point, and there I was. Uh, at the nexus yeah of the whole of thing dream, so it was dream a, band yeah so it was it was a very cool experience to be uh to uh be playing on it and mixing it yeah amazing well then um, we've we've asked you
4: as as normal to pick um five records from the store um as, as this shop, that was
2: shoplifting. that was very difficult
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah but i bet t- everybody says that well yeah i don't know. I don't know, it? but it's it's a nice thing. I think that it's it's difficult. Whether well, it they just go to the rough trade essentials section, <laughs> some people might. But no, no, no. It's, it's it's a good thing that we're doing our job. Then if it's uh, difficult to, to you're pick definitely high. doing
2: your, your job. Thank you.
4: But um, but yeah, we'll come we'll come to those um, in a little while. First first of all, I'd really love to to find out more and, and chat with you about Lovely Creatures, which is uh, the best of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, nineteen eighty four to two thousand and fourteen, which is set for release on the fifth of May. Um and it's the most comprehensive selection of, of Bad Seeds recorded work and, and interviews and film footage uh, to date. Um it's available on on four formats I believe. And I've got the this is the 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 C D booklet, um with a beautiful book. You obviously can't see it out there in Radio Land, but um
2: Yeah, it comes with a C D um and I think a DVD. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, actually, I'd be the last person to, to, <laughs> to be speaking with authority about it. I'm, right, well. I, I'll, I'll, I only, um, I'll only uh, speak for the uh, music. How about that? Perfect.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, um, you know, well compiled piece. Just a at, at first glance, and there's obviously a lot of care and attention. Um, and everything that's gone into it, as as with yeah. all of the yeah, band's Yeah, it's work. not
2: really... Uh, it's hard to call it, strictly speaking, a best of, whatever yeah. that even means. Yeah. Um, because some of the tracks on it are things that we just felt like, oh, that didn't get as much attention as we would have liked it to have at the time. So let's stick it on there. Yeah. Uh, things that we're, we're, we're proud of or things that are oddball and we I think or should be noted or um and some of them are genuinely popular tracks that maybe appeared on a soundtrack or or much beloved by fans yeah. or whatever. You know, it's 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 a real mixed bag of um of options on this so called best of. <laughs> but it's it's the it's uh it's the best selection of well, that, whatever we felt like Putting out, yeah, <laughs>
4: together. Well, I mean, you, you, uh, I don't know how much everybody in the band was involved, but it, it must have been a, a sort of interesting experience reflecting on, on a solid thirty years. I don't, yeah. some people don't like that kind of looking back. I think, band, I think it's,
2: uh, I think it's, it's fair to say that it, it would, it must have been Nick and and Nick Cave and Mick Harvey who had the most input. But um, yeah, uh, it's not, it's not a. Um, it's not difficult to look back. It's, but you wouldn't really go back to your stuff normally, to your your uh, earlier records normally, and li- say, oh yeah, I feel like listening to that record yeah. again. It's it's not a natural impulse for me anyway. Yeah, to to review records I've made in the past, but it's always interesting to go back to them. And of course, sometimes when we're when, when we're about to go on tour and we're going to choose some material to to perform live from the um, from the older records, then yeah, we we you'll go back and listen to it, and you'll you'll always hear something that you had forgotten or something that you um you 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 misremembered because you've done the, been doing a live version for so many years that you think that's how the song how the recording went but you go back and oh wow the recording's really really different yeah and has a whole different vibe and then you try to maybe recapture some of that the next time you go to play it live so it's it's great to actually forget what the old stuff sounds like and rediscover it anew it's almost like hearing some other band yeah yeah, I, I suppose the
4: difference as well, it, it surely must um, sort of bring bring back memories, for, you know, for want of a better term, you know, hearing, hearing <laughs> a recording yeah. that was recorded in a specific place at a specific time. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: For sure. Uh, or even of the uh, demo sessions for, um, for uh, the songs. Sometimes those vi- memories are quite vivid. Yeah, in a good way. For better or worse. <laughs>
4: So so why did it I mean was it a case of 30 years um why did it feel like the right time to sort of um maybe bring together um a collection
2: of of that body of work is there is there ever a is, right a, is there ever a wrong time yeah. I, I don't know I'm not trying to be evasive but uh it's not the first time we put out a best of Yeah there was one in um, 98 Yeah uh it's been a long time and I guess we feel like there must be some, there must be a lot of people out there who only know our more recent records mm-hmm. and how, I guess, this is meant to be some sort of roadmap or a set of suggestions of how to approach some of the earlier albums. Yeah. Uh, it's It can work that way or it can just work as um, sort of an interesting overview of where you hear things side by side that you maybe wouldn't necessarily hear hear them that way otherwise, unless you really take a lot of effort to program your your iTunes yeah. <laughs> playlists. you know. Was Was there
4: anything on there that you had to be a bit editorial with and leave out? Or I mean, it's it's no no. 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 It all went in there. I mean, there's some um, interviews as well um, on there. Um, from well, from across the board on on the DVD, I'd be
2: lying if I said I knew anything about you, yeah. any of those interviews or film clips or anything. I I'm looking forward to seeing them, but well, yeah. It, I mean, it it seems very much um, something that would appeal
4: not only to the completists and, and fans, but at, I mean, it's the perfect kind of opening to to new fans. And I, I mean, I, I asked, we asked you to to pick. Um, Sort of five tracks, I think. Or I think we've got four um, from. Um, I can
2: pick a fifth one if you really want me to. Yeah,
4: maybe. Um, from from lovely creatures, um, and 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 just looking at, at the list of them, you know, I, I thought that I remember the boatman calls was probably my first kind of introduction um, mm-hmm. to the bad seas, it's interesting that you know with the length of that work, people can come at it from from different times and different stages and in in, in your work. Um, which is a great thing, and I feel like this is the perfect um, opportunity for for people who maybe never heard of you to to take something like this and really yeah, find yeah. out what the Bad Seeds are about.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's you can approach it any way you like. It's a nice, it's a nice collection of things. And personally, I'm looking forward to watching the DVD because yeah. um, I'm sure there's stuff on there I've never seen. Yeah, well, let's let's hope so. But um, but yeah, I mean that.
4: The, the bad seeds always, always seem like such a, a a tight family unit. I don't know. How <laughs> to re, re, refer to it well, as. It's, that, you know, you, t- you, as
2: tight as you can be when you're spread over like three or four continents.
4: But even even so, with that, you know, and, and with you being so prolific in your other work, is it
2: kind of refreshing to to always come home to that? Well, it's it's always nothing short of a miracle how <laughs> quickly we fall in together and start making music in our own singular and and uh particularly organic collective way it's it's sort of we we can sometimes not see each other for years literally and we're in a rehearsal room for maybe 2 hours and all of a sudden we're playing together and it feels like we've been hanging out for for forever yeah doing exactly that making music it's 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 uncanny how quickly it comes together and how how sort of at the same time how loose it is yeah how how relaxed it is we don't it's it doesn't seem like you're forced in it. any way we, we we just naturally sit down start making music together uh, it's that's not to say that th- there isn't a lot of discipline that goes into the making of the music by any means because we're always trying to do stuff differently we're trying not to like fall into habits and uh, repeat ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, Nick is quite good at at keeping that that momentum going always looking for something new never resting on your laurels and um doing things in a repetitive way it's so he's quite good at driving that but um on the other hand that's that's sort of nicely balanced by the fact that we can play together so naturally so easily and and yet so infrequently
4: yeah it's it's like um it it seems like a innate connection that you've you've kind of built up between yourselves, and I suppose that's never more evident than when you sit at your instruments together. And
2: yeah, I'm sure a lot of it comes from spending time together on tours and in studios and what have you. And we all come from very different backgrounds and uh, are into very different types of music individually, uh, but somehow it all kind of when it's when it goes through the filter of of Nick's songwriting or songs that we've written together or or jams for lack of a better word improvisations that have led to songs that have been fashioned from this raw material of the improvisation or a spontaneous uh effort in in a studio it's 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 great that I lost my train of thought no,
4: no no well i i was gonna interject actually on that, and it's it's kind of quite evident i must say in, in one more time with feeling you know is that um a sort of insight in into um that connection and that improvisation um whether you play music it was an incredible moving um you know piece of cinema as much as a insight into into um that type family unit um yeah, well
2: old friends. We're yeah. old friends. We've we've known each other a while now.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well should we should we um find out what your, your choices from um Why not
2: Lovely Creatures are? What what's first? Uh how about Stagger Lee? Stagger Lee. Because um that was the Stagger Lee's from the Murder Ballads mm-hmm. album. That's the first album I recorded with the first recording sessions I was involved in with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and most of the sessions took place in Australia mm-hmm. which and it was my first time in Australia and it was all very exciting and um, it's great to be in this new band and um, the sessions in Australia were particularly rambunctious um, <laughs> because a lot of guest musicians were coming and going and playing a little bit and then disappearing and um it was all kind of coming together in a very ha- almost seemingly haphazard way although because I was new to it I think there was more there was more of a um master plan than I was aware of but it was unlike any kind of recording session I had ever been involved in because yeah. It just seemed like this sprawling affair that where there were like dozens of people in the studio at any at any moment you know some of them playing some of them not people hanging out by the barbecue yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like wow this is pretty different it's, um it sounds like a lot of fun but it, we was, it was a lot of fun but we actually managed to get some work done yeah <laughs> and um um it must have been quite daunting going into that for yourself. Uh it wasn't it wasn't, you know, I mean I guess I guess I've done enough stuff to be a little bit jaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, uh you, I don't I don't know that it was daunting, you know? Maybe now I would look back on it and think maybe maybe that was daunting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at and th- the time, were, but at the time I remember feeling Intimidated by it, I just was like, "Oh, well, this is cool." <laughs> but uh, Staggalee didn't wasn't recorded in Australia. It was recorded long after that session. We were doing some follow up overdub sessions in London. Kylie came in and did her part on uh, "Where the Wild Roses mm-hmm. Grow" and all this kind of stuff. And we had been searching for murder ballad material, yeah, high and low and. Pulling in from all sorts of sources, lots of people were contributing. Oh, have you heard this? And have you heard that? And you know. And it was really the end of the the process. We were really kind of at the end of the line. Of a, okay, we have an album now. Let let's. This is. We're just doing the final nonsense for it. And I had been in L.A. and I had come across this book, which was called The Life which was the if if i'm getting this title correctly the poetry and folklore of the black hustler okay. and what it was it was a collection of what they call toasts yeah yeah which is um,
4: the early yeah version of yeah, the, yeah, a, and a, a rap
2: the the predecessor to rap but it wasn't really toasts in the in the proper Traditional kind of jamaican kind of idea of it it was more like um they were like prison songs, prison poetry that the—I guess, according to this book anyway, the prisoners would recite to each other for entertainment. And they'd be these sort of epic sagas of these badass pimps and and uh, phenomenally gifted hookers and— uh, you know all sorts of criminals and junkies, and some of them were moral tales. Uh, you know, but with the morality of a of a player, not the morality of a of a Christian, yeah. right? Yeah. And among them was this version of Stagger Lee, and it was a really uh, particularly violent and foul mouth version of the Stagger Lee uh, story. Mm-hmm. Which was different from any of the songs I had ever heard. Yeah, whether it be early, like something like lee blues, blues, or yeah. or, um, or um, you know some of the pop versions or anything. Uh, you know, it was very different from all that. And I kind of was like, oh, it's too bad I didn't find this sooner. But I'll bring it to the studio and show it to Nick. It might amuse him. <laughs> so I brought it in and. Um, to make a short story long, yeah, no, go for <laughs> it. Is... Um, uh, I brought it in and showed it to him, and he was like, "Oh, wow!" And um, well, I don't know that's not a quote, but... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he was he was he was keenly interested in yeah. it. And within a matter of minutes, we went in and recorded this impromptu version of Stagger Lee. Uh, I think what we ended up using was the second take. Wow, and uh, and it just all came together really fast, and it was like a real afterthought. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised we're still playing that song live. Yeah, it's to, to, to uh, go from it, that
4: to what it's become.
2: Yeah, um, it was. So it just goes to show, you know, you never know what's going to fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly in the bad seeds, it's it's such a, a huge, you know, beast of a track,
4: and then live it's. I can imagine. Well,
2: live, it's taken on this whole life of of its own, and I go back to the original version, and I'm astounded by the economy of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, we just get to the point, and uh, (laughs) that's that. Oh, look at that. Whereas uh, live, it it becomes this whole sort of epic um, number where Nick goes out into the audience, and this, that, and the other thing, and there's all these kind of cues and stuff that go on um anyway it's um it was it it's interesting to go back to the original track and and hear it and and it's still kind of remarkable to listen to it and think wow we we did that in two takes that's um without any kind of real rehearsal or anything it's that's pretty uh how do we do that yeah it's a beautiful <laughs> thing well here it is stagley
0: he came to a place called the Bucket of Blood Stanley, He said, Mr. Motherfucker, you know who I am. And the barkeeper said, no, and I don't give a good goddamn to Stagger lee He said, well, the." it's a plane to see. I'm the band motherfucker called Stagger Lee. Mr. Stagger Lee. Well, the barkeeper said, yeah, I heard your name down the way and I get motherfucking answers like you every day. Mr. Stagger Lee. Well, I've Those were the last words that the barkeep said Cause they put four holes in his motherfucking head Just then in came a broad called Nellie Brown Known to make more money than any bitch in town She slides across the bar, hitching up her skirt over the staggerly. She's starting to flirt. Over oh, a Lee. She saw the ball, keeps it. Oh, god, he can't be dead. Stag said, Well, just count the holes in the motherfucker's head. You ain't look like you're scarred quite a time when I come to my bed It won't cost you a dime, Mr. Staggerly. But there's something that I have to say before you begin You have to be gone before my man Billy Dilly comes in Mr. Staggerly. I'll stay here till Billy Dilly comes until time comes to pass And furthermore, I'll fuck Billy Dilly and his motherfucking ass Said Staggerly I'm a bad motherfucker, don't you know And I'll crawl over fifty good pussies just to get to one fat boy's asshole Said Staggerly just then, Billy Billy rolls in. He says, You must be a man motherfucker called Staggly. I'm Staggly. Yeah, I'm Staggly. And you dare get down on your knees and suck my dick. Because if you don't, you're gonna be dead. He said, Staggly dropped down, a slobbered on his head, and stick filled him full of lead.
4: Okay, so that was uh, Lee from Murder Ballads, 1996. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on to Wiki, your... Look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah,
2: yeah. Google Wiki. But, uh, your next selection... Um, what, well, what would... uh, uh, why don't we just go in consecutive order, and that would be uh, The Boatman's Call. Mm-hmm. So that Boatman's Call was a whole different kind of setup than than uh the Murder Ballads album. If if the Murder Ballads was this sprawling, chaotic circus with um loads of guest musicians, it's um Boatman's call was very inwardly drawn and very reflective and very um very much about Nick's personal personal situation at the time and, and it, the mood was completely different and the approach to making the music was very different. And it was definitely going to be one of these less is more yep. kind of situations from the outset. In the run up to it we had done a bunch of demos and... All, all of that same approach. Not – no, not so much. I mean they, they – some uh, – of like a couple of – I think maybe one or two things may have strayed onto uh, an earlier collection of, that we did called uh, – I think it's called B-Sides and Rarities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can hear – you can hear that it was – you know, it's sort of a um, – a band thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the band just playing in a demo studio and it's it's not like it's not like we're being very kind of selective about what what we're stripping away. It's not like it's a very spare minimalist approach. Yeah. But by the time we got into Abbey Road to record it, that was very much the mindset was that we were going to keep it quite naked. Yeah. You know, and uh quite spare and and Stark, and that was definitely like the the uh, the tone of the album, and it was agreed all around that that was going to be the approach. So, in a, in a way, there was it was very much about holding back mm-hmm. and trying to make deliver the essence of the performance rather than the than just a the, the finesse of it, or- yeah. So um, the the skeleton of 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 the song, yeah. to make it sort of really strong it adds, and
4: that's to the weight of the sentiment. I suppose yeah, of, the gra- of the, song. the
2: gravity of the the of the feelings being expressed in the song. So, and and keeping the focus very much on the vocal and the lyrics. So, the only thing I'd say is that the demo in some ways of are you the one that I've been waiting for, This song I've selected, was almost better than the finished version because even though it had, even though it was kind of, had a bit of stumbles in it and, and it didn't, re- and it felt a little herky-jerky, it had this incredible fragility mm-hmm. to it and I think we did our best to capture that same fragility and it's this beautiful song that that in lyrics not only expresses this sort of this hopeful yearning obviously or as expressed in the title but it it sort of segues into things like fate and um there's even this Jesus even makes an appearance, <laughs> <laughs> as he's wont to do, and <laughs> and occasionally in Nick cave's lyrics. Um, and it's it's a very odd verse because it, it it follows this whole sort of like sort of climactic uh, middle eight section where where things are really building and there's explosions in the sky and the stars or the whole cosmos is coming into play into this sort of, this, this, uh, this question of, is this the love of my life? And then Jesus comes <laughs> and, uh, he kind of, he kind of shifts the tone of it a bit. And, um, and it's, it's delivered in a really peculiar way because it's like, um, I'm gonna misquote the lyrics, but it's something like, um, um, I can't remember how the lyrics go, but it's it's almost presented like um, like a double entendre, okay. but he's also he's also ex- sort of presenting the idea that that. Love is a form of knowledge, or 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 of almost of philosophical fulfillment, mm-hmm. or, or it seems to be implied in lyrics. I don't know. I, I I'm not trying to speak for Nick in the meaning of his lyrics, but it in, it provokes it, your own interpretation. It, it, yeah, and, and the... it it suggests all that to me, and um, it just seems like a very exquisite and underappreciated number from that from that album and we can never pull it off live because because it always falls a little bit flat because it's got that sort of tremulous anticipation built into the playing of the song it it, it has to feel like can this song even possibly happen yeah <laughs> it's it, it, it's um it's not as simple as just replicating it, it yeah has to be yeah you can't it. just like kind of play the beat and yeah. you know, it, it it it's all about is this it it feels like it feels like the whole performance is sort of a reflection of that same sense of is this gonna happen? Yeah. is this the love that I've been waiting for? Well, is this song actually gonna be able to to see it through to the end? Yeah. And uh, that's what it that's what it feels like to me. Um I might be I- no, interpreting this beyond the <laughs> no i mean it's, it's, it's such beyond the scope of uh, belief, but it's, it's a remarkable
4: record in itself you know and it does take you to those kind of places of, of thought really um, yeah,
2: yeah a lot of people you know flag up into my arms and 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 um that yeah that's a beautiful song, but this one to me always felt like quite special in another way well let's hear it shall we would you like uh, to introduce yeah it? after that build up i hope
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is uh are you th- are you the one i've been waiting for
3: i felt you coming girl as you drew down my veins
4: Okay, so let's move on to uh, the next selection.
2: Um, what, what, what's your next choice? Uh, what is it? Nature what's Boy? On? Oh, yes, Nature Boy, yeah. Yeah, so um, every every time we make a, a Bad Seeds album, it's kind of a completely different situation. We, we never know what to expect when we go in there, and I don't think Nick knows either. And it's often... It's often the case that he says, I want to make a certain kind of record, and he's got this kind of idea in his head, and then we go in, and it just takes on a a trajectory of its own. It it just, the record decides itself what it's going to be. The songs decide for themselves how they're going to sound. Uh, We almost unwillingly relinquish control because it, it it just... the the album knows what it wants to be. Yeah, and That's a great uh, way I don't know I don't know how that happens, but um, now I don't remember exactly what what the full plan was for Abattoir Blues, Lyre of Orpheus, but I do know that from early on, Nick was talking about having gospel singers on it and ha- making it a big kind of vibrant rock and roll record, and I think we. We stuck to our guns with that for the most part, although there became there ended up being all this other stuff that kind of ended up on the lyre of Orpheus side of it, which was a bit less um, shouting and hollering, rock and roll, yeah. um, and um, it kind of fell into this um, dual drummer thing of that we were we was slowly happening in the band of myself and Thomas Fiddler we'd be trading off on songs live well that album actually takes that as the format and the structure of the album it, uh, there's the Abattoir Blues side which I play on mostly and then there's the, um, the Lyre of Orpheus side which uh, uh, or disc in, I should say not side, a disc which um, Thomas plays on and um, again, the um, the demos for this were um, were interesting. They they were. We had been in Paris working on some material that we were going to do with Marian Faithful, some songs that Nick had written for Marian Faithful. So we were we were rehearsing those. And we, had, we ended up with a bit of spare time in this little Pro Tools studio in Paris. And we thought, okay, well, let's try a few ideas. Nick had some, some song ideas that we kind of knocked around. And um, we'd already been doing a lot of work as in this configuration of myself, Martin Casey, Warren Ellis, and Nick doing these solo shows of Nick's and they were kind of, you know, he'd been doing solo shows for a while, but in this configuration, what had formerly been sort of promoted as an intimate evening with Nick Cave, well, we we were starting to get complaints because we were too loud and raucous. Right. Um, we'd, like, come out there and it'd start off with this... This howl of feedback from Warren, and then we charge into this kind of high adrenaline uh, version of uh, something from the Bad Seeds uh, catalog, great. and um, but people pe- uh, people were in there like little concert hall seats, like kind of like hair flying back, <laughs> eyes like I don't know, what's that? Um, and so they that little con- that configuration eventually became grinder man, okay, yeah, but at this point grinder man was uh just a still a twinkle in our eye, <laughs> if that, and uh we were just preparing some material for for the bad seats album, and because because i'm I'm never shy about hitting a drum really hard. Yeah. And- <laughs> Um I guess it took on a bit more of a, an aggressive rock and roll yeah, yeah. character, um some some of the demos. And um Nature Boy was a bit funny because um it it was a um, it <laughs> <And> the recording <laughs> it, the it, it was, well the demo was yeah, like yeah. it was kinda like um we had run out of We had run out of things to do and we were like kind of just goofing around and uh, somebody said something like, oh, why don't we do an R.E.M. song or something like that. Somehow R.E.M. came up and none of us knew how R.E.M. sound actually. (laughs) So then we started playing something. We thought, oh, this this is what R.E.M. sounds like. But it didn't sound anything like R.E.M. (laughs) Um, um, We didn't realize it, but it sounded quite a bit like... um, come up and see me um the uh Steve Harley, Steve uh, Harley yeah. Truck, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um uh it got pushed that way even more once the backing singers were in there but um that's not really a story no 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 <laughs> that's but an it's... insight into the creative process yeah
4: <laughs> which, which is interesting uh, is not it... really but <laughs> no no it's amazing how, 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 it must how but mean,
2: again it's like you know it's surprising where sometimes where material comes from you you it like i said it was sort of like this kind of joke yeah and but it, it, co- it comes from so many different places and influences with
4: yourselves and I don't know, I must well, say.
2: I wouldn't say there was any influence from REM.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Who, who knew that they'd even be in the conversation? No, as a well, influence. I
2: probably shouldn't have even brought them up. <laughs> Cut REM.
4: <laughs> well, let's let, let's hear it. his here's Nature uh, Boy.
3: I was just a boy when I sat down and watch the news on TV I saw some ordinary slaughter, I saw some routine atrocity My father said don't look away, you gotta be strong, you gotta be bold now He said that in the end it is beauty that is gonna save the world now Among the sparrows And she flows Upon the breeze And she moves Upon the flowers And she moves I was walking round the flower show like a leper Coming down with some kind of nervous hysteria I saw you standing there, green eyes, black hair Up against the pink and purple hysteria You said, ain't need your boy, you're looking at me With some unrighteous intention My knees went weak, I couldn't speak I was having thoughts of running out in my best interest in mention. As you move
1: Powers.
3: And she floats among the smoke. And she moves as And she moves me with just one little look. You took me back to your place and dressed me up in a deep sea diver's suit. You played the Patriot You raised the flag And asked stood at full salute well, Later on we smoked a pipe it Struck me dumb And made it impossible to speak As you closed in In slow motion cold the In the original Greek As she moves Among the shadows As she flows She moves among the candles, And we move through the days and through the years. The years passed by, the walking by the sea half delirious. You smiled at me and said, Babe, I think this thing is getting kinda serious something said have you ever seen such a beautiful thing well it was then that I broke down was then you lifted me up again as she moves among the sparrows as she walks
1: across the sea And she moves
3: she moves something deep inside me As she moves upon us, Carol As she blows upon us
4: Yeah, let's let's have your um final choice. Um more news from nowhere.
2: Oh yeah. More news from nowhere. Well, Nick was really um you know, he's he's quite renowned for um referencing the Bible and using uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament in a in as sort of a springboard for lyrical ideas and um for um in a metaphorical way or even just the the tone and the language of the uh of the bible but he also had has quite an interest um quite an abiding interest you may have noticed <laughs> dear listener uh in greek mythology and that's played out played itself out in various ways including his uh un unutilized and unpublished script for Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see Which that. is the stuff of um internet legends. <laughs> but it um it's quite an interesting uh take on the Gladiator um the Gladiator franchise. Yeah. But uh and sadly never got made. Yes. Th- through, th- through Yeah, well yet, but um um, lack of vision on the part of hollywood i'd say but um no it really is astounding to to read the summary of it um but um anyway he has this abiding interest in greek mythology and me being half greek i i do too and um, more news from nowhere is is not by any means the uh the last um the last sort of referencing of that in in his uh, lyrics, but it, it certainly was one of the more overt, referencings of it because it basically plays with the Odysseus, um, the uh, the Odyssey, mm-hmm, the idea mm-hmm. of the of Homer's, Homer's odyssey, odyssey, and um, only instead of an Odyssey across magical lands of the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean and having adventures dealing with monsters the protagonist is encountering a series of uh, women and Im- implicitly some of them perhaps ex-girlfriends <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, it's quite a funny um, qu- quite a funny track and it comes from the Diggs Lazarus Dig album which i think is an interesting milestone uh in for the band for the band because it's probably uh nick will probably hey, kill me for saying hey, this on. but it's our it's our most it's our funniest album yeah <laughs> it's really funny i yeah. think and and you know there's always been this th- thread of dark humor obviously yeah, humor. Um, and Sort of most well, uh, most most conspicuously in in some songs on uh, on the murder ballads like O'Malley's Bar or um, on the knock, the much maligned Nocturama album, um, uh, uh, Babe I'm on Fire and um, songs like that or um, a few tracks on uh, Abattoir Blues are quite amusing, uh, you know Frappuccino and and all that, but uh, dig Lazarus dig has this really pronounced vein of humor throughout the whole thing um maybe I, not so on so much on some tracks like night of the lotus eaters but um well, but, yeah it's a, it's, a, it, 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 it's a slightly
4: it, lighter humor isn't yeah. it I, I remember the video for More News from Nowhere. Um, if I remember right, it was it was in a club. I think Will Self yeah, was in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did so that. Down in a bunch in, of we did that over
2: in Soho. Um. But that
4: seemed to reflect that humour that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Slightly tongue in cheek.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Tongue in cheek. I don't know if it's. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, I, don't know. Um, I don't want to nitpick, but suffice to say, it's it's there's there's conspicuous vein of humor that runs it through the album and all the songs that were done around that time and um I don't know if people can really handle a humorous Nick Cave uh I don't know I I I love that record and I I I love that track
4: it was it's always a go-to is it is it seven or eight minutes as well
2: yes is there an extended version no, I don't remember if there might have been a shortened version I for the single, but that was but, a, but uh, we we but there the 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 full length version is the the version. Yeah. You if, know, it, if I remember right, I don't know if there was a seven inch. Yeah, there was a the seven track, inch. and you had to
4: flip it over to play play the second half of the track. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> which uh
2: which yeah i always i'm sure in. i'm sure it's <laughs> gathering dust on my shelf as we yeah.
4: speak <laughs> no, i'd always play it in DJ sets and it was quite nice to no. just stop and flip over and play the rest but well let, let's hear it shall we this is uh more news from nowhere
3: see my friends in high places. I don't know which is which or who is whom. They've stolen each other's faces. Janet is there with a high hat and hair and full of bedroom feathers. And Janet is known to make dead men groan in any kind of weather. I crawl over to her, I say, hey baby, I say, hey Janet, you are the one, you are the sun, and I'm your beautiful planet. But she ain't down with any of that, cause she's heard that shit before. And I say, uh-huh, oh, oh, yeah, you're right Cause I see Betty X standing by the door With more news from nowhere More news from nowhere Yeah, more news from nowhere More news from nowhere And it's getting stranger here Yeah, it's getting stranger every year More news from nowhere, more news from nowhere. Yeah, more X is like Betty Y minus that fatal chromosome Her hair is like the wine dark sea in which sailors come home I say hey baby, I say hey Betty X I lean close up to her throat This light you were carrying is like a lamp hanging from a distant boat It is my light says Betty X, Betty X says this light in yours And so much wind blew through her words That I went rolling down the hall for more news from nowhere Corner. I go down a corridor and I see this guy He must be about 100 foot tall and he only has one eye He asks me for my autograph, I write nobody and then I wrap myself up in my woolly coat and I blind him with my pen Cause someone must have stuck something in my drink Everything's getting strange cooking Half the people are turned into squealing pigs The other half are cooking Well let me out of here, I cried and I went pushing past and I saw Miss Polly singing with some girls. A cried, she struck me to the mass. For more news from nowhere. More news from nowhere. Yeah, more news, from nowhere. More news oh. from nowhere. It's getting strange in here. And it gets strange. No clothes on She danced across the room We charted the progress of the planets Around that boogie woogie moon I called her my Nubian princess Gave her some sweet back badass jive I spent the next seven years Between her legs A pining for my wife But by and by it all went wrong I fell washed up on the shore She stared down at me from up in the storm And I sobbed up on the floor For more news Come on news. Guy. she's given herself a transfusion. She's filled herself with panda blood to avoid all the confusion. I say the sun rises and falls with you and various things about love. But a rising violence in me cuts all my circuits off. While Alina, she starts screaming, her cheeks are full of psychotropic leaves. Her extinction was nearly absolute when she turned her back on me for months. Door frame. All the horrors that have befallen me, well, Deanna is to blame. Every time I see you, baby, you make me feel so alone. And I wet my face into a dress long after she had gone home with news from more news from nowhere. Yeah, more. So sad, don't the blood rush to your feet? To think that everything you do today, tomorrow is obsolete. Technology and women and little children too. Don't it make you feel blue? Don't it make you feel blue for new?
4: Just before we move on to your shoplifting choices, um, I just wanted to ask more about uh, sort of um, the live um, version of of The Bad Seeds and and kind of, I suppose there's there's maybe a few live tracks on here, but it's, um, you know, it's an entity in itself, uh, The Bad Seeds Live, like we were kind of referring to a little bit before, but... Is, is that something that's always easy to go back to? or uh, I remember when you were talking that, uh, the drum thing um, Q&A that we had there, you know, there's certain tracks that, that are really difficult to play live and, you know, it's it's a different beast, and obviously touring and the I should never
2: of- admit that anything's difficult to play live. Yeah, hell oh yeah. <laughs> it's all difficult to uh, play it's live. It's all easy, uh, <laughs> kick <cakewalk. laughs> No, uh, actually what I think is, is I find... The, re, the uh, run up to tour is completely nerve wracking. Um, I hate the rehearsals yeah. that precede a tour because I never really feel like I know exactly what I'm going to end up doing yeah. or where we're where we're going. And um,
4: but there's a lot of precision but, in, in the songs and, and the sets. Oh yeah, that. of
2: course. But um, but it's it's kind of finding finding your new spot. Because you're never the same band. There's always like some album that's kind of preceded some tour. And you're about to embark on playing that album live for the first time. And everybody's kind of gone through this filter of the new album. And you have to kind of find a new way to present yourself. Um, Maybe I'm speaking too abstractly here, but... Um, it can be as, as simple as um, playing a quieter version of a song or a more restrained version of a song or a more forceful version of a song. And you just kind of feel like until you've got that, until you've figured out what this new thing, even whether it's an old old song or something off the album, because we don't always do the stuff on the albums the same way live as we do and that's part of the trick, too, is, like, how are we going to present this thing that's the product of the studio? How are we going to present that live and make it feel engaging? Because it has to feel like we're making a connection with the audience, especially for the lead singer, you know, has to be feeling that kind of— You have to put him in that of, place. Yeah, well. yeah, and we have to support that mm-hmm. and— uh, it's again. It's not enough to just go out there. Oh yeah, I know how this song goes, <laughs> and and you know, it's it has to be a whole new conception. Even if it doesn't sound very different to the audience, sometimes it we've gone through through sort of process to get uh, it. Yo- various yoga positions to get to this <laughs> to this version that maybe sounds really similar but like we've we've had to rethink it all i love and, the idea of you all doing yoga together oh well uh <laughs> oh, let's let, let's let's leave it at that <laughs> well, yeah, I all mean, sorts it's... of stuff goes on backstage <laughs> <laughs>
4: But yeah, I mean it's it's an it's an incredible thing seeing I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before at the Hammersmith Apollo. But it's an incredible thing seeing you guys live. It's um kinda like nothing else and probably you know, the best thing certainly in the best five acts I've ever seen. I wasn't live, there. You know, weren't you? No. Okay. But <laughs> I'm glad you liked but it. <laughs> that's why it wasn't number one.
2: <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> should, we,
4: should we move on to your shop list? Definitely. Situation? No, I've just put my foot right, rightfully in it.
2: You can always cut that one up. Then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: cut. Um, so yeah, we asked you to to choose five records um, in in store. I think you spent maybe an hour of your time, at least. Um, but uh, but yeah, what what have you chosen? What's your first record and why?
2: Well, it's really baffling trying to Mm -hmm. select records that had a big impact on me because they all have in a way. Um, And uh, I, I, I always feel like I'm... Am I exaggerating the importance of a record to me or am I being accurate or am I, you know... I've I've made a point of not trying to be too much of a fan ever in my life of anything. Okay, but you know, I devour music. Yeah, in, in voraciously all the time. Yeah, I'm always listening to music every chance I get. All types of music. Yeah, and yet uh, in my head I'm not like a fan of anything. Okay. So <laughs> I know what so you mean. It, it's um so um it's like a hel- a healthy diet of. I'm I'm constant and I'm constantly exposing myself to new stuff, and I'm like, oh, that sounds great and that's interesting, but then I won't remember who it is, okay, <laughs> or I'll forget, you know, it's it's on some album that that came out two years ago, and you yeah. know, I, I won't retain all the details, you know, yeah. in that kind of way that you're meant to do if you're if you are a fan of music. So I was rummaging through your racks and. Yeah. Um, Kept pulling things out and putting them back, and um, finally I just said, "Screw it! I'm just going to pick five things arbitrarily and hope for the best." Yeah. Well, you know, that's what it's all about. (laughs) And and the minute I the minute I I made this, uh, uh, one of your colleagues comes along and goes, "Oh, yeah, oh yeah, but uh, that's you know, blah blah blah." To put you and then it. suddenly I'm like, oh god, <laughs> I've made the wrong choice. No, nah, there,
4: there is no wrong choice.
2: There isn't. No, it's damn straight. They're, they're in the moment. I can really champion this band, yeah. Without without uh, any kind of without any kind of second thoughts about it. Um, yeah, they're a lot more. Um, they're better known now than they were when I first saw them, and uh, it's considered cool and okay to like them. <laughs>
4: so this is suicide. and they're, they're
2: obviously seminal. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Suicide were had a huge impact on me. Um, I saw them in, at CBG. I was aware of them before I ever saw them. I saw this picture of them in the Village Voice, yeah. which is a newspaper in uh, New York City, and. Um, it was a picture of some art gallery show or presentation that Alan had made of his work and the, it was sort of a picture of the two of them, Marty and Alan kind of posing in front of one of Alan's sculptures, junk sculptures and they just looked astounding to me and um, it was I was kind of intrigued by the description of what they were, which was a two-man band. Now, I I, I had been acquainted with two-man bands before, like um, Silver Apples yeah. was an electronic yeah, yeah, yeah. band from a few years earlier mm-hmm. in New, York, based also based in New York, who I think were inf- probably influential on Suicide, mm-hmm. but they had a drummer and a keyboard player. This was just a singer and a keyboard player and a drum machine. It was like drum machine <laughs> that's something you hear at a holiday inn <laughs> and i went to see them finally i finally caught a show at cbgb's and um it was amazing and they were like a force of nature especially alan and yeah, yeah. he was particularly uh unhinged and violent in those days or or th- seemed to threaten the prom the promise of violence surrounded him like a like a like an aura but yeah. he he didn't actually ever do anything he, yeah. I do remember him hitting himself with some chains <laughs> so probably all the violence was self inflicted but um, um, they were incredible to watch much more much more extreme than any of the punk rock that was happening at the time yeah. you know, back in 76, 77 mm-hmm. they, they seemed much more extreme to me and when i ended up in uh i i joined this band um that lydia lunch had at the time called teenage jesus and the jerks and um what drew me into that band was a this similar kind of extreme minimalist aesthetic mm-hmm. that that she had with that band it was very stripped down and very brutal like yeah. a like a Am I allowed to use profanities? Go for it. Uh, she, uh, it's, it was it was the m- sort of a musical equivalent of a hate fuck, <laughs> and um, and um, uh, suicide. Af- af- aside from suicide, and this band that were friends of ours, who were a power pop band called the Mumps. So, uh, aside from then, suicide were the only band that would ever allow us to open for them at CBGB's you know everybody hated us yeah everybody hated Teenage Jesus and the jerks and we were like considered room clearers (laughs) (laughs) so nobody ever wanted us to be the support on the bill and um but suicide suicide always uh welcomed us as a as an opening act and um Alan's kind of threaded in and out of my life um in various ways since then um but um yeah this album what meant a lot to me at the time and still does it's yeah. just a, a stunning album from start to end and What's uh,
4: it? it's a pivotal album but it's, it's lovely to hear how much of it a pivotal album is for yourself perhaps
2: yeah well it's it's um you know reading the Meeting them and reading about them and stuff, it it sort of it it brings other dimensions into it. But when I listen to it, it's I'm still that guy that is hearing this music for the first time and the impact is still the same and I'm still like marveling at like that just sounds so electrifying. That's yeah. so intense so like intense raw and 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 yet at the same time so tightly controlled and and repetitive and and yet at the same time it sounds completely unhinged how is that even how is that even working to yeah. have that sort of yin and yang of um that that these two guys were cuz Marty was always very stoic in those days and you know, you, you didn't make eye contact with him <laughs> and he just did these like these keyboard runs that were just so, sort of so, they sound like sequencers, but they're actually just him playing, you know, super accurately and yeah. super repetitively. And Alan's just like, like this, this thing that kind of came out of the earth and, and, uh, <laughs> put on some urban clothes and like decided that it was going to be a rock star. Yeah. It's like, he's like, he's really like, like i said a force of nature on he was a force of nature on stage in those days that that just the likes of which um it wasn't like that kind of sexy rock and roll kind of persona like um like iggy had yeah. you know it was a very different thing it was much cooler and darker and uh and um and uh almost chemical
4: yeah Do you mind picking a a
2: track we could play from? Uh, Just play the, uh, just play Ghost Rider because that's the classic.
1: Ghost Rider motorcycle hero. Bebe are looking so cute Sneaking round, round, round in a blue jumpsuit Who's riding a motorcycle in
3: a row? Beep 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 he's a blazing away
1: As that's, as in the universe Goose, rider, motorcycle, you Beep,
0: Baby, 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 he's screaming
1: the truth America, America is killing its youth
3: is screaming away America, America is
1: killing its youth
3: America, America is killing its youth
4: Okay, so let's move on to your next choice, your next shoplifting record.
2: Well, I'm still hearkening back to the good old days. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> the 70s. <laughs> um, when I was young and unfettered and slightly <laughs> slightly uh, bonkers. Um, more bonkers than I am now. Um, the span Mars were a revelation to me as well. They were, they're, They were one of the early so-called no-wave bands, Mm -hmm. and uh, it happened on them quite by chance with my friends at CBGBs. It's not like anybody said, hey, you should go see this band Mars. Um, You'd really dig them. Um, It was really very kind of random that we encountered them. We didn't like most of the stuff we saw at CBGBs, to be honest, (laughs) but we liked going to CBGBs. And we had formed this magazine called No Magazine as a way of blagging our way in there. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fanzine and we, you know, we wrote about bands and, um, but most of the time we were like, oh God, I wish something good would come along. (laughs) But, um, um, Mars were a band that really captivated us one and all. And, uh, And they were sort of my entry point into that social world that I became part of, that like sort of bunch of no wave bands that included DNA and Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and the Contortions. And some of these people ended up being my roommates. And some of them, you know, I'm still friends with and some of them have passed away. But um, Mars is where it all started for me in terms of like... Oh, this is a band that um is taking this punk ethos and making some music that I really actually like and I'm interested in and um is sounds quite avant garde and different and um uh it's not trying to sound like, you know, some rehash of sixties garage music and it's it's you know. This this was a band that sounded like a band. Okay. As opposed to suicide, which sounded like a something <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. This was a band that sounded like a band. But they were making music that, you know, defied all the lo- all the laws of rock and roll as a, as I had understood them up to that point. And the only thing I could even remotely compare them to was something like Trout Mask Replica okay. Era Beef Heart, because it seemed like everything that Bands normally do; they were turning on its head. Yeah. So, um, um, now this is a live album, so I, I, I've not heard it, but um, it would be comparable to what I would have seen back in those days. When and where was this? Is recorded? recorded in '78, so I'm, I'm sure I went to one of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> you might be in the background. Uh, I was probably at the bar. <laughs> And um, maybe uh, it should be short and sweet. Why don't you play uh, Puerto Rican Ghost? Because um, that's uh, that's that's quite that's one of their catchier numbers. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs>
4: this record i'm really intrigued Do you know the band oh, with,
2: the, oh, with the band I'm, I'm really intrigued too there's this comp there's this compilation that eno put together called no new york eno put oh, this yeah, compilation yeah, yeah, yeah. together no new york that features mars dna yeah. Yeah, contortions yeah. teenage jesus and the jerks it wasn't recorded very well um particularly the teenage jesus and jerk stuff doesn't come across that well one for one because I didn't play on it. <laughs> it was recorded the day before I joined the band, uh, but also because it just th- the people that were recording it didn't have a have that kind of care and attention to. Well, it, it just it just, you know um, Bob Quine from um, who played with Lou Reed and before that he was in Richard Hell and the Voidoids he was our teenage jesus and the jerk's best producer he did a he did um he did um a, a few record he produced a few recordings with, for us and he really understood how abrasive lydia's guitar needed to be and how well how clear and abrasive it it needed to be to have to give the right kind of impact and how sort of brutal and um neanderthal sounding the um the out. rhythm section had to be, and I played bass in the in the band, but I played it more like like a percussion instrument than a uh, than a bass um or so I'd like to think <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah he he got it, and um i think um wasn't quite captured sufficiently on the No New York album but that's probably the more legendary and better known of the um, of the No Wave um, sort of releases of, of um. but I- nowadays all this other stuff is coming out and this this seems to be something from probably from Mark Cunningham who was in the band probably from his archives because it says Mars Archives volume two so uh, I reckon it's uh, something from his personal collection.
4: Can, can I just ask, with the the way you sort of spoke about that, the the prowess of the producer in in that production, the, were producers in in your recording work a, a huge influence on how you approach your, sometimes your production in a,
2: Sometimes in a negative way, yeah, yeah, because yeah, like um, my first proper recording session, um, playing drums was in a band called Eight-Eyed Spy, which was a band I was in with Lydia Lunch. And uh, we had this producer named Bob Blank, and he had kind of made a name for himself and built a studio on the back of all of his success with disco records. Uh, like one of his big hits was Push, Push in the Bush <laughs> by I think they were called La Musique or something like that. I can't remember. Okay. But anyway, um, he, he made a name for himself Uh, doing disco music and he applied those same kind of recording techniques to the drums, um, the drum sound and it wasn't how I sounded. I was like kind of very much about live open drums, big room sound and all that kind of stuff, kind of really resonant drums, really wild and thrashing kind of sound not those and he and, and it, it was he came up with this thing that sounded like like the bass drum sounded like like click click click, <laughs> and um, I knew it didn't have to sound that. Like, I, I had a little bit of a ex- background in sound from from my brief sojourn in in uh, college, <laughs> where I was uh, studying film production. And I had done uh I'd done sound on some films, so I knew a little bit about microphones and not not a lot, but I knew a little bit about it. And I knew it didn't have to sound like that. And I knew that other people's records didn't sound like that. But he was like, "No, that's how it sounds. That's how it's got to sound. That's you know." So from that point on, I was like determined to have more control over my drum sound in in any record going forward from that because I was so unhappy with what he had rendered as my drum sound. Um, you know, he he had his good points. Uh, he was dealing with a band that, you know, had just experienced the loss of the, the bass player and we barely even wanted to be in the studio doing that. You know, he did a good job, all things considered, yeah. in that he got us through the whole th- process. But... Um, I didn't like um, a lot of the sounds he got, and that's what got me interested in a sort of strange way in production, which I ended up years later starting to work as a producer myself, is um, sort of contending with that frustration. And I'm sure some musician is gonna be able to tell, that same story about how they frustrated they were with me yeah no i know because much. i didn't get it but 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 that's the beauty of it is that it keeps moving on so um you know um nothing against bob blank i don't, yeah. I don't know. that's all right we're not, we're not all is bob forgiven off. bob yeah <laughs> but um you know well it's um,
4: obviously you know like all these experiences have obviously influence your approach towards, you know, like we mentioned the Witches album that you produced right, last year. Right, And And that experience, you know, um, obviously allows you the ability to, to approach um, a production in a, I don't know, in an open way. You know kind of maybe how, how they're feeling or how how do you approach it when you have a young band like that?
2: Well, um, I, I know that I'm going to say a few things that they don't want to hear, okay. but I'm hoping that mixed in with that Will be a few things that they maybe never thought of that they find exciting as an idea. Or, um I never like to be able to say I never like to say no. You can't do that. But sometimes it's like sometimes the things that they want to do won't won't result in the results that that they, th- they're after th- that, that, that they're, they're th- after for. and you don't want to ever be discouraging to anybody and you want to you know people to feel like they they have control over their own music because it, ultimately it's their music right it's not it's not my music i'm just there to help them mm-hmm. so whenever i have anything critical to say or or um cautionary to say uh, that's always in the back of my mind is like that I want them to be able to get what they want out of it in the end, it's not um it's not for me, it's their record um so I'm only there if I say anything uh, uh that might be construed as as unwelcome guidance <laughs> it's only because I care. <laughs> Well, but uh, uh, but you know, I mean sometimes sometimes people just have to do stuff anyway and let the chips fall where they may, and that's kind of sometimes the best approach as well, yeah. you know so there's no rules to any of it, and um, um, anything that anything that gets made in the end is going to be better than not making anything at all. <laughs> that's a nice way to look at it. Um, should we have your your next choice? How about
4: what we go for?
2: How about this? Oh, right. <laughs> um I know precious precious little about Jenny Haval. Um I get the impression she's a rather provocative young lady. Mm-hmm. And I um I like the sound of her records. Yeah. And um I'm not familiar with all of her work. I'm I'm familiar with this album. I I, I I can imagine um I can imagine that I may like her earlier album, but i I don't know I don't know <laughs> but i do like i do like um this one, and um I like how you know there's this whole um there's this whole awakening of um female artists that are doing things trying to do things differently in the past uh, 20 years and they get a you know they get an unwelcome reception i i guess still you know okay. that the the um the sort of attitudes towards women in music are still pretty entrenched and it's preposterous because women compose avant-garde composers have been challenging the norm for decades women rock and rollers have been doing incredible music for for decades um and now in especially in in the realm of electronic or studio driven uh productions there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of specifically women artists you shouldn't even have to have this kind of
4: no no this
2: sort of thing of where you you say women artists yeah you know it's like why can't you just say artists well because those added like i said those attitudes are entrenched and s- s- they have to be called attention to because they're 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 still to this day kind of s- sidelined in so many ways yeah or there's uh, an
4: expectation that it should be One particular way, yeah, rather than something a bit more expansive, yeah.
2: And uh, I like, uh, I I like this particular song, uh, because it really focuses on, um, feed, uh, an aspect of female anatomy, at least implicitly, (laughs) but in a way that's, um, really runs contrary to the usual way in which, um, (laughs) <laughs> in the rock and roll tradition um um female anatomy is examined and held up for uh um for consideration and it's a it's a piece called period piece <laughs> and uh but moreover i really like the music and the production and um well done jenny here it is
4: two tracks Yeah. okay so uh
2: what, what's your next record what's your next choice L- to get away from music <laughs> <laughs> like but stay talking. in the uh, the audio realm mm-hmm. um uh, uh, william burroughs is has been a huge influence on a lot of musicians yeah. and it's such an un- unlikely character. I mean, he looks like a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he he he's this kind of he's got this sort of withering wit and uh this um this sort of he's sort of he's the junkie Mark Twain. <laughs> and he's just got um such a a unusual kind of persona for somebody that had such a impact in the, impact beat generation on, 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 the on on the on on the hip beat generation, the hippie generation, the punks, post punk, every you know, he's his his influence runs yeah. through rock and roll. And yet he's not rock and roll at all. Yeah. Um he's a he's a naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> he likes lots of dirty things and nasty things <laughs>
4: um, um, when, when did you sort of first read or, or I hear Boris well or I was
2: really into the beatniks you know yeah. I went through my little beatnik phase yeah, you know yeah. as a young man which I guess was not you know unusual for I can't see you teenagers a trail, like. of any <laughs> spotty teenagers of any uh, generation probably yeah. you know still kind of have this rite of passage where they go through certain authors and yeah. they they think they've discovered uh, for the, some, first time the, the the moment. key to the universe. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but, but Burroughs, Burroughs was uh, Burroughs was much he was much more much more interesting to me in the long run than than Jack Kerouac or Allen Ginsberg or any of the other Beats. Um, he didn't really f- seem to be trying to deliver a beatnik message or a uh, or or anything like that he seemed like a really um he seemed like a great intellectual but also a really um hedonistic and selfish person yeah. <laughs> and um that intrigued me yeah he he intrigued me in the same way that you know Um, that um, the Marquis de Sade intrigued me at at that age (laughs) and um, okay I don't know if he's great literature I don't know what one you know what if I used my most highfalutin literary criteria to evaluate his work I don't know how he would stand up next to sort of Samuel Beckett but I find his I find his work intriguing still. I find his his way with words quite engaging and uh the only person I th- can think of that maybe had as m- much of a sort of subversive influence on rock and roll Cause, 'cause there's like lots of writers that you know have you know engaged the imagination of lyric writers or rock and rollers or you know you know artistic musicians, yeah. but the only other writer I can think of that has been so subversive in 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 the underbelly of 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 um the material that that makes um uh music making. Still, a risque kind of endeavor yeah. is uh, J.G. Ballard. He, you know, with you know his various um, extreme visions, dystopian visions. Um, but um, Burroughs' influence was a a bit more um, direct. Direct, yeah. Uh, apparently, even maybe being responsible for the phrase "heavy metal." I right. think I'm not sure about that, but I think I think I'm, I'm if you get your to... if you Google it, William Burroughs heavy metal, it might come up as a <laughs> as a fact or an alleged <laughs> or, or, fact or an obscure <laughs> remix track of, of some sort. <laughs> anyway,
4: we, um, can, we can't play the whole thing. It's no, one no, track, but it, this
2: this came out on a a, a, a wonderful label for, um, called ESP back in the day and i haven't listened to it since it was originally released so um so i couldn't even tell you where to drop the needle well, but um but uh, esp was a great label they they introduced me to um sun ra and yeah. uh, albert eiler and um pearls before swine and all sort they there was a real interesting there was a real interesting A and R department or yeah. or, or some, some nut yeah. <laughs> with a bankroll. Doing a really great <laughs> Go, job. Yeah. He they just got some they just recorded some released some amazing recordings back then and um um very important label historically, I th- I think, long forgotten by many. Um but Call Me Burroughs was Burroughs William Burroughs' first release and I think he's done many, he had done many since then but this was his very first one Mm -hmm. and it's just him reciting excerpts from uh, Naked Lunch and Nova Express, two of his books
4: Well let's, we'll we'll let our editor John um, choose choose a a section of that. Good luck John
5: Iranian Willie, the heavy metal kid, also known as Willie the Rat, he wised up the marks this is war to extermination. Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screens of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug, flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Ship. Linguals. Free doorways. Cut. Word lines. Photo falling. Word falling. Breakthrough in gray room. Towers. Open. Fire. Partisans of all nations. Open. Fire. Tilt. Blast. Pound. Stab. Strap. Kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Back before the whole fucking shithouse goes up. Return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride panpipes back to base." The technician mixed a bicarbonate of soda surveying the havoc on his view screen. It was impossible to estimate the damage. Anything put out up till now is like pulling a figure out of the air. Enemy installations shattered, personnel decimated, board books taken, Electric waves of resistance sweeping through mine screens of the earth. The message of total resistance on short wave of the world. This is war to extermination. Shift linguals, cut word lines. Vibrate tourists, free doorways. Photo falling, word falling. Breakthrough in grey room, calling partisans of all nations. Towers, open fire.
4: So your, your final choice, um, what record have you gone for?
2: This is a piece of avant-garde music by um, a French Greek composer, Giannis Zanakis. Um, He—I've not actually heard this piece, and one, the reason I pulled it was because I can't believe that I've not heard it ever. Um, you're a big fan of his. Yeah, his yeah. I've, I thought I've heard just—I thought I had heard everything, but I've never heard this one. Um, I obviously haven't done my research. <laughs> But Yannis um, Anakis was an early experiment experimenter in uh, music concrete. He also was an early utilizer of computers for to help him compose music, but not it wasn't music that sounded like it might have been made by a computer. No, it was not robotic, <laughs> robotic in any way. It sounded like chaos. Yeah. And what he was using the computers to do was help him sort of create, this is a vast oversimplification of of some of what Zanakis endeavored to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you ever see like... Things that happen in nature, like where there are complex shapes get get created that you can't even quite figure out yeah. how these how these can be measured, like what whether it's a murmuration of birds mm-hmm. or um, a bunch of uh, sand dunes creating a, a um, elaborate shape, okay, uh, yeah. or um, or a random array of broken broken pine needles on the ground, kind of clustered in a uh, in some kind of s- s- strange t- shape that um, that suggests complexity, but something some sort of fundamental, simple kind of operation at the same time. Zanakis mm-hmm. was using computers to create complex structures that um that would be very difficult for an individual to to um mathematically uh come up with on their own and he was sometimes his music sounds like just random noises and sometimes it sounds very precise and architectural in its, in its sweep like vast glissandi that are just kind of swooping over the length and breadth of an orchestra and other times just like things that sound like a swarm of bees. Yeah. Um, and so it's not music in the normal yeah. sense of composition uh, and it's not it doesn't fall into the sort of cliched idea of what computer music might sound like. Um, it's very complex music that sounds sometimes not like music at all. Yeah. He also experimented, his music concrete experiments are, are quite unusual. He, um, he has one piece called, uh, I think it's called Concrete, pH which which is these uh basically charcoal briquettes kind of puffing. Right. <laughs> a recording of, the sound of it. Yeah, and it's it's a very gentle piece. Yeah. But um uh, now this is a music concrete piece called Diamorphos Diamorphoses. Diamorphose. Um however a French person would pronounce that. And um, says here, the geometric laws and architectural work which presided over the previous orchestral pieces of Xenakis, uh, (laughs) using the photogene, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) he transposes his bell sounds and transforms them into intertwined glissandi, which hold an extraordinary and rustling shimmer. They are like gigantic, multicolored webs whose preliminary calculations change into the most intensely poetic and delightful sounds. Delightful sounds. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, sum total of it right there. They are delightful sounds. They are sounds that delight me. Yeah, I love noise. It seems, <laughs> and I love um, it seems unusual to have really sounds. Expanded
4: and your kind of palette. You, you seem to go to those slightly more sonically
2: challenging, interesting. Parts, yeah and, and 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 Xenakis is is has has approached this stuff through through academia. Yeah. Uh, but he's doing highly intellectualized music, but I can just kind of listen to it and enjoy it and um I don't really worry that it doesn't have a beat, you know? It's kind of like um people often assume that drummers have a cer- certain uh, kind of obsession with with a certain kind eight. of rhythmic yeah. based music and it's not at all the case i mean cuz you can hear rhythm in just about anything yeah so it's rhythm is just the sort of the interval between the, the the silent interval between two sounds yeah so that's that's the basis to, of you, need, to rhythm. Rest you your your ears. need you need the you need the <laughs> silence yeah. to perceive rhythm yeah. whether it's a short silence or a long one He said talking and talking and talking. No, no, it's great. (laughs) Let's 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 play the track. Uh, Um Yanis Sinakis diamorphose.
4: Thanks so much for thank you for shop, having me, shoplifting ben. with us. <laughs> um, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege, and uh, I can't thank you enough. And um, yeah, just to remind, um, lovely creatures will be available on the fifth of May. You can buy it. You, you at all Rough Trade stores. <laughs>
2: uh, thanks very much. Wikipedia. Goodbye. I mean, Google it. <laughs> rough Trade Radio.
4: for
0: available in store and online at roughtrade.com